Good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? Is anyone still recovering from all the turkey they ate? I am. <laughs> that and cranberry sauce. Dude, we were at a place, and it was homemade cranberry sauce, and I devoured it. It was bad. <laughs> Note to self, don't get near the homemade cranberry sauce. I grew up with the canned stuff. Let me just say the canned stuff is nasty compared to the homemade stuff. All right, let's get back on track. Sorry. Hey, my name is Andreas. I'm one of the pastors here at Vertical Church, and we are so glad that you're here. Yep, we're so glad that you decided to come here this morning. Uh, you know, I, as I was preparing for this morning, uh, I read Utmost for His Highest. It's by a man named Oswald Chambers. I mentioned it last week, and he talked about how we don't just come to church to hear some random person talk. We come to hear God's Word. That's the reason we come again and again to church. We don't come to hear Pastor Rich or, or myself or some random person. We come to hear what God has for us. And so this morning, I hope we come with that heart today, that we're coming to hear what God has for us. But I want to encourage you with this now that Thanksgiving is over. That means Christmas is coming up next. I know it's been mentioned a couple times up here. We are excited for the Christmas Eve service coming up. It is going to be fantastic. I know the worship team is going to put in a lot of work. I know Pastor Rich is excited about it. So I want to encourage you, you know, what, it was 3, 4.30, and 6. Invite your friends and fight your families. It is going to be an awesome time. Well, we've been in this series called Breakthrough, Finding Victory in a Defeated World, basically with the premise of this. How can we not only just survive in this world as believers in Jesus Christ, but how can we thrive? We live in a world that is broken, that is distraught, that is covered in wickedness and sin. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we have been redeemed and we've been rescued by the blood of Christ. So how can we experience not just the opportunity to survive in this world, but how can we thrive and point others to Jesus Christ? And so this is the whole premise behind our series. But first, let's come to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, God. You are a good and gracious God. I pray that as we open up your word this morning that we would be reminded that we're not just coming to hear some random person. We're coming to hear what your word has for us. This is why we come to church again and again, to hear what you have for us. I pray that you would soften our hearts, that you would remind us that your word does not return void, that your word will do everything that it says it will do. God, we pray that you would soften our hearts and prepare our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning I want to start off with a question. The question is this. Have any of you had a do's and don'ts list? Yeah? I think so, several of us probably have. You know, I think ever since grade school, you know, you went through middle school, high school, maybe college, maybe you went right into the workforce, maybe you went into the military, maybe then, you know, you got married. Listen, we've all had do's and don'ts list. All of us have. Some of us, we hate them. Okay? Seriously, we're like, we don't want to do anything that list says. We're going to go against it. And then some of us are like, we need to have like rules and instructions in, in order so that we can succeed, right? Today, we're going to read in our passage how the Apostle Peter is going to give us a do's and don'ts list. And this list is going to help us understand how we can experience breakthrough in the midst of suffering for Jesus Christ. But when I started to think about a do's and don'ts list, I started to think about the first time I ever remember, right, the time I remember that I broke a do's and don'ts list. 
My dad was an antique dealer growing up, and he had the shrink wrap machine down in the basement, okay? And that sucker was hot, okay? And I distinctly remember him saying, do this and don't do this, right? Even to the point, I don't know how many of you have dads out there that will write notes, you know, near the, near the toilet or near the, you know, near the oven, like, don't do this, do this, right? Anybody out there? Yeah, my dad does that. Or maybe my dad's just weird, I don't know. My dad did this. He wrote like exact, like literally every step near every part of this machine. And I was like 10 or 11, and I distinctly remember breaking that and suffering the consequences. <laughs> it wasn't good. I won't go into details. It wasn't pretty. But I broke it, and it wasn't good. And I remember my dad being very stern with me, and it's something I'll never forget. But I feel like today, as we dive into our passage, we need to be reminded that do's and don'ts list are very beneficial. Societies have used laws and instructions. America itself has laws and instructions in place. And so do's and don'ts are a good thing. It kind of sets us in in order. It kind of gives us a direction to head in. And so as we open up our passage, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19, our question is this. What are the do's and don'ts of suffering for Jesus Christ? What are the do's and don'ts for suffering for Jesus Christ? And so our passage, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19, will address this. And just to remind us, stir up some of our uh, thoughts, remember 1 Peter is written by the apostle Peter, and he wrote this um, to the uh, areas in uh, northern Asia Minor, and he's writing this letter to believers that are both Jewish and Gentile. He wants to encourage them. Mainly because there's a man named Nero at the helm in Rome, and he wants to hunt down every believer in Jesus Christ. He wants to persecute them. He wants them to suffer. He wants to wipe out the name of Jesus. And again, as we mentioned last week, that didn't pan out too well for the man, okay? And we praise God for that. So he's trying to encourage them. And I want us to be encouraged with this. Yes, we have suffering in our world today, but what I believe that the Apostle Peter is writing to us in 1 Peter As we mentioned last week, he wants us to be battle ready, but we need to come in with the mindset that this suffering isn't just the suffering of a good person. It's not the suffering of a good person who may come down with cancer or may be involved in an accident or someone passes away. This suffering is someone who is willing to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. So we need to come in with this mindset that, yes, there are different things that we can take away from 1 Peter that deal with the suffering of this world, that deal with suffering when it comes to pain in our lives, But at the helm, what this book is telling us about is how to suffer for Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? All right, let's dive into it. All right, we're going to start reading here. I'm going to encourage you to stand up again. I believe that this shows us that we honor God's word and that we find it very important. So we're going to be in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 19. Verse 12 says this, Dear friends, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Verse 15. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, 
But praise God that you bear that name. For it is the time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Verse 18, and if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Peter is giving us instructions for how we can face persecution as believers in Jesus Christ, mainly dealing with that, with if someone persecutes us, if someone places suffering upon us because we follow Jesus. So Peter's going to give us a list of two do's and two don'ts. So I want to start off this morning with our two don'ts. So we're going to see in verse 12 our first don't. Let's read verse 12 again. It said, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. See, Peter starts this passage off with dear friends. This is important. When he says, dear friends, simply other translations are saying that he says, beloved, or, or the idea that he truly cares about these individuals. He loves them. The crazy thing is, catch this, the crazy thing is, he never met several of these men and women who were following Jesus. He never met several of them. And the reason he cares so deeply about them is because he understood that Jesus cared deeply about them. We have brothers and sisters in Christ all over this world that we may never meet this side of glory. Do we care about them? Do we love them? And do we show that? That's what Peter does. He writes them an encouraging letter. So Peter writes this letter to them. And bear in mind, I said it earlier, we need to remember that he's writing to Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Here's the thing with that. Jewish Christians understood what it meant to face fiery ordeals, what it meant to face trials, what it meant to face suffering. Read the Old Testament. We see the Jewish people again and again facing suffering. But for the Gentile believer, for the, the person who was not of Jewish descent, the idea of suffering for a, a faith in a, in, a, in a God did not make sense to them. At this time, most Gentiles probably believed in something similar to the prosperity gospel or prosperity theology. The idea that, you know, you follow this random God and everything's gonna, everything good is going to happen for you. And so they didn't understand the idea of suffering for the God that they followed. And so this leads us further on in our passage, and I love what Peter says here. He, he's just straight with them. Point blank, he says, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised. And this is our first don't. Don't be shocked by suffering. Don't be shocked by suffering. Peter's trying to encourage them. He's like, yo, it's going to happen. There's no doubt. There's no if, whens, or what's about it. It's going to happen. It's going to take place. And for many of us in this room... When we suffer for the sake of Jesus, when someone may say something rude to us, when we feel humili humiliated for following Jesus, we tend to feel like it's strange or abnormal. But the reality is for the believer in Jesus Christ, suffering for his sake, it's normal. It should be normal. And that's one of the things over here in America we don't necessarily feel or know about all the time, right? Right? In other countries, it's a normal thing to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. 
And so this is kind of a wake-up call for every one of us in this room, including myself. The Christian is going to face persecution for following Jesus. It's going to happen. This is what Jesus tells us himself in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And then earlier on in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us that we're going to be persecuted. He tells believers that they're going to be thrown out of synagogues. They're going to be thrown out on the street. They're going to be beat for following him. They're going to be mocked for following him. And so this shouldn't come to us as a surprise. We shouldn't be surprised when we face persecution. Peter then goes on, he says, at the fiery ordeals. I want, this is, is very important. Just like last week we talked about how we need to arm ourselves, how I mentioned that's the key to understanding that passage. This is the key to understanding this passage where it says, at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. If you have a pen, I want to encourage you, underline that that little phrase there. Circle it. This is how we understand this passage. At the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. Peter uses this word fiery for a reason. See, during this time... As Nero was reigning around A.D. 64, some people believe it happened exactly on July 19th, A.D. 64, there was the great Roman fire. And a lot of people believe that this fire was started by a group of people. Mainly, one dude said that it was started by Christians. Guess who said it was started by Christians? Nero! Nero puts out this crazy idea that Christians started this fire, the great Roman fire. What ends up happening during this fire, 70% of Rome is destroyed by this fire. 10 out of the 14 districts that they had at the time are completely destroyed. A lot of people don't know this, though. Guess what Nero was doing at the time? He was on the far end of the the country, the area, right? Chilling, relaxing. And so some people believe that the fire was actually started by Nero. Nero. Because Nero wanted to rebuild Rome completely from top to bottom and to make it to his liking. See, Christians didn't start the fire. Nero most likely did. That's what historians believe. And so what Nero ends up doing, because the dude started the fire, what's he going to do? He starts blaming Christians. Okay, Then he starts taking a step further. He starts feeding Christians to lions. This is wild stuff, but it happened. right? He starts burning Christians at the stake at his grand parties. So when the Apostle Peter literally says fiery, he means fiery ordeals. Isn't that wild? That's the importance of understanding the wordage that is used within Scripture. We need to dive into Scripture and get into the thick of it. So when he says fiery, he means it. And he's using it on purpose. And what takes place, I love this, if we go further on in the passage, it says that these ordeals have come to test you. We need to think about a test, not, not just like a, a school, you know, it's a school, a teacher's going to give you a test, right? We need to think of suffering as a test. This is what the Apostle Peter is telling us. When we face suffering or persecution in our lives, it is a test. A test of what? Well, let me explain it this way. Spiritual, a spiritual refining process needs to take place within each and every single one of us, right? And this process is very similar to that of gold that is being refined in a fire. 
You think about gold being refined, it's one of the most uh, well-known and historic ways a precious metal can be refined. A craftsman is sitting by the, 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 the molten gold, and he uses a crucible, and he's trying to get off all the droppings, all the dross, they call it, with one goal in mind, to get it to its purest form. So that fire, which is probably around 1,000 degrees Celsius, is burning off all the impurities within that gold. And in a similar way, our suffering for the sake of Jesus is a fire that is burning off all of the impurities in our lives in the sense that we need to become more and more like Jesus Christ and less and less like our sinful selves. Our faith is not only tested, but it is tested to the point of being proven genuine. Persecution and suffering may feel like they are too much to handle many times, but when we know that the fire of persecution and trials can reveal the genuineness of our faith, we can live with a hopeful attitude in the midst of trials. The purity of our faith is revealed as a result of these difficulties we find ourselves in. I don't know about you, but I hope that I look at suffering and trials as tests so that my faith is proven genuine. And this is the, the idea of our passage today, that suffering for the sake of Christ proves the authenticity of our faith. It proves the authenticity of our faith in Jesus Christ. If someone comes to me and they say, hey, do you know if this person's a believer in Jesus Christ? What does scripture tell us to do? It says to look at how the person lives, right? Are they walking in step with the spirit or are they walking in the flesh? What did, what did their good works show? Well, another way that we can tell if a person's a genuine believer or not is have they suffer for Jesus Christ. Are they willing to go into the fire for Jesus? Are they willing to? And if they're willing to, and they have, brother or sister is definitely a Christian, okay? No one's going to willingly go into a fire and be burnt if they don't have to, right? This is why 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7 says, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold itself, which perishes even, perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The suffering we face, the persecution we face, it's a test. It's a, it's a test to see if our faith in him is genuine, if it's true, if it's authentic. And this is why we hear Romans 8, 28 all the time, Right? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who has, been a call, who has been called according to his purpose. And that test, the test that we're taking of, of suffering or persecution, it's a good thing. It may not feel like it in the moment, but it's put into our lives for the benefit of us so that we would become more like Jesus. So serving for, suffering for the sake of Christ proves authenticity of our faith. Let's jump into our second don't statement. Don't be ashamed of suffering. Don't be ashamed of suffering. We see this in verse 15 and 16. It said, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. I want us to zone in on verse 15. It said, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer, a thief, or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. See, suffering 
as these things that are listed, a murderer, a thief, or a criminal, it brings no glory to the name of Jesus Christ. No glory. And in reality, we should be ashamed if we suffer for these things. These are not the things of God. These are the things of the world. These are the things of our flesh. And Peter's telling us that we should not find glory in that, but that we should be ashamed for those things. You see, it's the whole idea, if you do wrong, you're going to suffer. And guess what? When we sin, even as believers in Jesus Christ, because we're not perfect, we're going to face consequences this side of glory. We can't just get away with sin, ladies and gentlemen. Sin carries a price. And yes, the price has been paid on Calvary, but that doesn't mean that the sin that we do on this earth right now, today, the rest of the week, it doesn't mean there's not consequences in this earth. Because there are consequences. Look around you. We have broken families because of sin. We have people who go and do whatever they want because of sin. We have uh, kids that fall away because they did whatever they want, right? I had friends that went to a Christian school that I thought, man, they knew it. But sin crept in, right? And they fell to sin. It's around us. And this comes back to what we talked about last week. The choice. Each of us has a choice. We're either going to suffer for Christ or we're going to sin and follow the world because it's more comfortable. I hope and pray that for all of us in this room, we're willing to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. And this is what Galatians 6, 7 says, right? You reap, or it says a man reaps what he sows, right? If we're going to follow sin, if we're going to fall into sin, we're going to reap whatever sin has for us. And what does Scripture say that sin has for us? Death, destruction. So if we live in sin, if we follow sin, we're going to reap whatever sin has for us. And we know that in the prodigal son story, what he does in his sin, it doesn't turn out so hot. It's not going to turn out so hot for you and I either. We're going to reap what we sow. And that's why if we are willing to suffer for Jesus Christ, we're going to reap what we sow. We know the glory awaits. I remember, it's called a stupid decision I made. I made a stupid decision. And it was, it was uh, in middle school. We've all made stupid decisions, right? Can I say that? Yeah? All right. I remember middle school. I was in an art class. Guess what? I'm not good at art, okay? Not good at art. Capital N, not good at art. Um, and I'm, I'm making this thing in this art class. It was like a medallion type thing we had to make. And she put it in the kiln, and it came out like amazing. I'm like, this is awesome. The teacher's like, I'm going to use yours as, you know, as a... Um, as a, a template for everyone else to look at. I'm like, okay. Well, I thought the teacher and I were tight, and so I ended up taking some of the smelly Sharpies. You know, they smell like blueberry, raspberry, strawberry. I thought she was cool with it. Well, I was stealing, and it turned out she wasn't cool with it. Yeah. I ended up getting in trouble. See, I reaped what I sowed. I was doing something stupid because I thought I was cool. I thought the teacher and I were on good terms. I did something cool. Guess what? What I was doing was still wrong. And that can be said for some of us in this room when we make decisions that aren't glorifying to God. That we are going to reap whatever we sow. 
Verse 16 says, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Simply put, we shouldn't be ashamed of suffering for Jesus Christ. If you think back to Acts chapter 5, and the apostles, they're thrown out of the Sanhedrin. What do they say in verse 41? They say this. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They rejoiced for being beaten to a pulp by a group of men. They were rejoicing because they were being persecuted and they, were being su- they faced suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ. They counted it as a blessing. That's mind-blowing. That's not how our minds think. We don't think that suffering or persecution is a blessing. We think it's horrible and horrific. I've been there. To, I, there are times where I'm like, dude, why is this happening? This is horrible. And we may not know this side of glory, the reason behind it. But what we do know is that we are told in God's word that God had a greater purpose behind it. A bigger purpose that we can't even think, fathom, or imagine. Maybe a person came to faith in Jesus. Maybe several people did. Maybe you were planting seeds in the midst of your suffering. Maybe people felt like they had to take their next steps with Jesus. Maybe an entire family started coming to church on a Sunday. There's so many things that we don't know that could happen. We think we're in control of our own little worlds. We're not. This all comes back to the idea that God is sovereign, that he is overall. He's making everything that he needs to uh, happen, happen. This reminds us of Romans 1.16. What does Romans 1.16 say? Most of us in this room know it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. We are called not to be ashamed of our suffering in Jesus. Because suffering for the sake of Christ proves the authenticity of our faith. All right, let's jump into the do's. Two do's. First do is this. Do rejoice in your suffering. Verse 13 said, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. As I mentioned prior, this is like, this just goes against everything we think. We're called to rejoice? Wait a minute. That's absolutely insane. Why would I even think about rejoicing when I'm facing pain? That's counter, counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. But this is what the Apostle Peter is telling us. He's saying rejoice in the suffering you're facing. Find joy in it. You and I, we get to pick the attitudes we have in the midst of suffering. We can have attitudes of rebellion where we can rebel against our suffering and adopt a spirit of defiance. Or we can boast in our suffering in the sense that, oh, I'll get through the suffering on my own. In, our, in my own power, I'll get through this suffering. Or we can lose heart and say, I'm throwing in the towel. I can't do this. Or we can start to complain or grumble about our suffering. Or we can have self-pity, trying to have others just come alongside us because we want others' attentions, right? Or we can say this, catch this. God has allowed this trial to come to me. He has some good purpose in it for me. I don't know what that purpose is, but I'll try to find out. I want his purposes to be worked out in my life. What if for each of us, when we face suffering for the sake of Jesus, what if we were to say that? 
That's powerful. Instead of rebelling, instead of questioning if, if God loves me and cares for me, guess what? He does. His word says that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. That he knows every hair on your head. That's insane. But it's the truth. And in the, in the midst of that truth, we need to remind ourselves that God has a good and perfect plan for us. This is what the early Christians did. They rejoiced. As I mentioned in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, the apostle, uh, P, uh, the apostle Paul was there. But at the time he was Saul, this dude was rejoicing at the fact that he was beaten to a pulp for suffering for Jesus. And guess what he did? He literally beat Christians for following Jesus. And now he's on the other end of it. Only Jesus can do that. James 1-2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Even James tells us we need to find joy in the midst of our suffering. Why can we rejoice in the fiery ordeals or suffering or trials that we face? It's because these ordeals, these trials are making us more and more like Jesus. And that is the goal of the Christian, to become more like Jesus Christ. I remember as a kid, I wanted to be a Major League Baseball player. Some of you may or may not know this name, Jason Bay, okay? Dude from Canada, okay? No one knows who he is. All right, he was a great Pittsburgh Pirate, but no one's going to know who he is 100 years from now. I wanted to be just like Jason Bay. So I tried to practice like Jason Bay. I tried to wear the same stuff he wore to games. Tried the same. Guess what? That was all worthless compared to the idea of becoming more like Jesus Christ. I found out later in life, I don't need to be like someone else. I need to be like Jesus. Who cares about other people in the sense of becoming like them? Because guess what? Those people are imperfect too. They put on pants just like you and I do. But Jesus, he's the son of God, the Messiah, the Alpha and the Omega. He is the perfect one. And he is the one we're called to become like every day in a process called sanctification. This is the goal of the believer. This is why we can rejoice in our sufferings because God places them in our lives to help us to become more like Jesus to burn off all the impurities, to burn off all the dross. This is why you and I, we hear godly men and women say this, it wasn't easy to take, but I wouldn't give up the experience for anything. This is why we hear this from godly men and women in this church. There are several men and women in this church that are battling different things in their lives. Maybe they've genuinely suffered for the sake of Christ, Maybe they are going through a cancer battle. Maybe they've lost a loved one. But we hear them say, God has something bigger in store. We hear them say this, and this is why, because they know that they're becoming more like Jesus through the fire. My wife and I, we drove back from Thanksgiving with family in Wisconsin last night. And as we were driving back, if you know me, I like stopping at thrift stores. So I had to stop at a thrift store. What am I doing, dude? Seven-hour drive. Stop at a thrift store. I stop at this thrift store, and we go inside, and it turns out the thrift store hadn't been open for seven months. It was the first day they were back open, small business Saturday. And I walk in, and there's two ladies in there, and, and all, all's fine and dandy. I go in the back. I'm looking around. I find a couple things, and I go to the front, and there's this woman. Her name is Donna. 
And Donna starts to share with Kara and I, my wife and I, she starts to share that she just came through a battle with brain cancer. And right then I'm like, this is crazy. Because not every, it's not every day someone tells you, yeah, I just came through a battle with brain cancer. Right? Like, he's just insane. And so we're talking to her, and my heart is just like, it's melting, man. Like, this woman has gone through a lot. She's talking about how her medicines aren't, she's like, I feel like I'm in more pain now than I was when I had the cancer in my, in my brain when they, before they did the surgery, right? Because all of her medicines aren't um, the same amounts yet. They need to figure out the amounts of medicines that they need to have and all this stuff, the crazy stuff, right? But what I caught the most was at the end of our conversation, and I didn't know if she was a believer in Jesus or not. I had no idea. She was talking about how she was going to trust God through the midst of the suffering. And that something good was going to come from it. And I got in that car, in the truck, and I just looked at my wife and I said, that was amazing. Like the idea that we're talking about suffering. And that last night, we're driving back from Wisconsin. And we stop in a little town in Indiana at a thrift store. And right there is a woman who, who just came through a battle with brain cancer. And she's talking about trusting God. She's talking about rejoicing in the midst of her suffering. It blew my mind. I was like, thank you, Lord. So if you have an opportunity, pray for Donna as she is continuing on battling this cancer and, and the treatments. But we're reminded suffering for the sake of Christ, it proves our authenticity of our faith. All right, the second do statement, do trust God in your suffering. Do trust God in your suffering. And for this, I want us to zone in on verse 19. Verse 19, when I got to the end of this, when I was studying it, I was like, wow. I didn't, I've read this passage several times. I never caught this. There are times when you and I, we're going to read through Scripture, and we're not going to catch things we're going to read 10 years from now. Like genuinely, because God's Word is living and active. It's powerful. So verse 19 says, so then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Our second do statement is, do trust God in your suffering. And in verse 19, I want us to focus in on their faithful creator. I love how the apostle Peter starts with the, or ends with these words, their faithful creator. When I start to think about the apostle Peter talking about Jesus... The last word in my mind for him to use would be faithful creator. Like I would think he would use Messiah, son of God, high priest, the perfect one, alpha and omega. But he specifically uses these words, the faithful creator, for a purpose. And when I dove into this, my mind was blown. The reason he uses this word creator is because, yes, Jesus was there at creation. He created you and me. And then secondly, it's twofold. He created you and, you and I. He created creation. And secondly, he created you and I, if we're believers in Jesus, as new creations. This blew my mind. This is why the apostle Peter uses these words. And he's saying that if you love Jesus, he's the one who made your soul, and he's the one who saved your soul. And this is why we need to trust God. Because he made our souls and he, and he created our new souls. He saved our new souls. This is powerful. This is stuff we can't just read on by. We need to dive into it. And this is why we can trust God in our suffering. He's the one who's created us. And he's the one who saved us. 
I remember in college thinking to myself, I, I, I had a hard time when I first got to college trusting God, trusting that God had a bigger and greater plan, trusting that, that I was at the right school, trusting that I was around the right group of friends. I just, I ran to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I think there are many of us in this room who have followed Jesus for several years, and this passage has just spoke to our hearts and our souls. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. I want to challenge you. Memorize this passage, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It is a passage that personally that I've used throughout my life to remind me that I need to trust him and that his plans are greater for my life. And so suffering for the sake of Christ proves the authenticity of our faith. We need to trust God and we need to rejoice in our suffering. So as we close this morning, I was reminded of another missionary, another martyr of the faith. And I think this is super important for us as believers in Jesus to study those who have died for the sake of Jesus and to study missionaries. And in college, I was reminded by one of my roommates, I had never heard this man's name. This man's name is Polycarp. Some of us may have heard of that name, some of us may not have. But the story of Polycarp is simple. Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna, okay, so he was a, a very high-ranking religious leader of the day, if you would say, and he was potentially the last man who, who had a relationship with the Apostle John, okay? So the last living disciple, he had a relationship with this man, okay? He heard this man talk, he heard him teach, and Polycarp is going to face persecution. And those in Smyrna at that time were being persecuted by the Romans, and they were literally, again, horribly being put to death in horrific ways. And Polycarp decides that uh, some of his friends tell him, hey, you need to run. You need, you need to get out of here. So he gets out of Smyrna and ends up coming back. And he comes back, and he is burned at the stake for Jesus Christ, for having faith in him. He's also stabbed in the side. It's just horrible, right? But this is what we need to catch from the story of Polycarp. Polycarp said this before he eventually died. He said, 86 years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? See, they were trying to have him renounce his faith in Jesus and follow their gods. And he said, I've been following Jesus for 86 years. Why would I do that now? That's just silly. I'm going to stay faithful to my savior. I'm going to stay faithful to my God because I know that the, that the genuineness of my faith, the authenticity of my faith is shown in the midst of fire. And that's what he's saying. 86 years I've followed Jesus. I am a genuine, true follower of Jesus and I'm willing to die for him because he died for me. And he's given me new life. And for all of us in this room, this is a question we need to ask ourselves. Will our faith stand the test of time? When our faith is in the fire, are we going to stay a hold of Jesus? Or are we going to run to the things of this world? I hope and pray that we stay firm in Jesus. Because his way is indeed greater and it is the best way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for your word, the power that it holds. I pray for every single one of us in this room, God, who calls ourselves followers of you, believers in you. I pray that in the midst of suffering, persecution for our faith in you, Jesus, I pray, Lord, 
that we would not be shocked when it comes because it's going to come. I pray that we would not be ashamed of the persecution we face for following you. I pray that we would indeed rejoice in our suffering. Rejoice because we know you're making us more like yourself and less like our sinful selves. And I pray, Lord, that we would trust you in the midst of the fire. God, you are sovereign, you are overall, and you have a greater and bigger plan that we can't even think, fathom, or imagine. Lord, help us. Remind us that our suffering, for your sake, proves our authenticity of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to encourage you with a couple things before you leave. The prayer team is going to come forward, and they'll be up here if you need prayer. But we are thankful for you here at Vertical Church. We believe God has great things in store. Be blessed.